Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I'm drinking Christmas cookie tea and enjoying the lights on my Christmas tree. (laughs) No snow at the moment, um, but maybe there will be by the time this drops. Not that I'm complaining. It's much easier to put my laundry in the wagon to walk it to my parents' house where there is a washing machine that I can use um, than it is to load it onto the sled. Um, This is not a COVID thing. This is a, I, when I bought the house, the previous owners kept their washing machine and dryer and I never bothered to buy new ones. Um, Just wasn't in the budget and definitely isn't in the budget now. Anyway, um, it does, uh, but, but, the lack of snow does make it hard to remember that it's December. Um, you know, I don't have to put on 17 layers when I want to walk back and forth between my house and my parents' house. Anyway, today is another Odyssey episode. We are up to book 17. Ooh, in book 16, Odysseus and Telemachus finally met, and Odysseus let Telemachus in on his disguise. Um, book 17 picks up the next morning. Telemachus says goodbye to Eumaeus, explaining that he needs to um, go and show his mother his face so that she can know for certain that he's safe. Um, So could he please take this old beggar into town so that he can get to work at his begging job? And Odysseus adds that he really wants to get back to work too, but he'd like to wait until the sun is a bit higher and it's not quite so cold outside because, you know, he's old. Um, And with that, Telemachus leaves and the story, excuse me, the story follows him home got the hiccups. (laughs) He leaves his lance on the porch before going inside. Eurycleia, Odysseus's old nursemaid, is the first to see him. She runs to him and is followed by all of the other faithful old servants, and Penelope appears shortly thereafter. She cries as she kisses her son before asking him to tell her everything, which is such a mom thing to say. Telemachus says he'll tell her later, after she's prayed to Zeus for assistance in their revenge on the suitors. He has to run out again to go get this passenger he picked up on the way. Penelope is ready to scold him for speaking to her this way, but she stops herself and goes back to her room to bathe and make a sacrifice to Zeus. Telemachus goes into town. He sees Mentor and a couple of other old men, Antiphos and um, Halitherses, and he stops to tell them his story. Then he meets up with Pyreos and um, Theoclymenos, and he tells Pyreos to hold on to the treasure that they brought home until they know whether or not the suitors will be ousted from the palace. Then he and Theoclymenos go back to the palace. They make themselves at home. Penelope sits and spins and waits while they eat before asking Telemachus about his news again. And orality alert, he gives it, concluding with the news that Odysseus is stuck on Calypso's island. Theoclymenos speaks up at this. He says that the story isn't quite right. He swears to Zeus that Odysseus is already on Ithaca. He saw a portent that told him so. Penelope tells him that he'll be treated like a king if his prophecy comes true, and we leave the three chatting. Meanwhile, the suitors have been playing at track and field and have decided that it's time to come home for dinner. And by home, of course, I mean Odysseus's palace, so they do. And it is while the suitors are whining and dining themselves that Eumaeus and Odysseus approach the palace. On their way, they come across Melanthius, the goat herd, who comments that this beggar is going to get quite the beating if he goes to the palace before providing a few kicks himself. Odysseus is ready to fight back, but he remembers his disguise and holds back, choosing to verbally curse him instead. (laughs) 
Melanthius scoffs and tells them that Odysseus died at sea, so they should get used to the suitors being in charge. And with that, Melanthius goes into the palace and joins the suitors, sitting near Eurymachus, his favorite. Eumaeus and Odysseus continue on, talking as they go, and then Odysseus sees this dog lying nearby. It's Argos, who's been Odysseus's dog since he was a puppy, which means this dog is at least 20 years old, which is like a hundred years or something in dog years, depending on how big the dog is, right? I mean, if it's a big dog, it's like more than 120 years old. Probably even older than that, because supposedly this dog hunted with Odysseus, so it wasn't like a brand new puppy 20 years ago when Odysseus left Ithaca. Um, anyway, now he's this super old liminal dog who no longer does the things dogs are supposed to do, but he's not dead yet. So he's not, not a dog, but, but he's, yeah, he's somewhere in between. And he's been laying outside the gates, just keeping watch over the house, obviously not doing the best guarding job, but he's, he had, he can't die. Um, because Odysseus isn't home, but then then he hears, he's blind. I mean, he's an old dog. He hears, he hears Odysseus's voice, and he knows that that's his master. He recognizes Odysseus through his beggar disguise, and he knows, he knows that he can die now because he doesn't have to protect the palace anymore because his master is home to take over the job. So I'm sorry, I probably should have put a trigger alert in that there's a dog that dies in this book. But um, he's also, like I said, he's like a hundred some years old. He's an old dog. It's impressive he's still alive in the first place. Anyway, I digress. Um, They get to the door. Telemachus motions for Eumaeus to come in and join him. And Odysseus, however, um, he stops and waits in the doorway. Um, And you know my favorite topic, liminality. Doorways are liminal spaces. They are not inside or outside. Odysseus is home, but he's not home yet, right? Not really. He's in the doorway. He's neither in nor out. And if you think about it, even once he crosses that threshold, he still isn't home yet. This beggar disguise is home, but not Odysseus. Um... After getting um, getting the all clear from Telemachus, though, Odysseus starts to make his way among the suitors, and they treat the beggar exactly as you would expect, um, exactly as Melanthius said that they would. Antinous even throws a stool at him, which goes to show what sort of person he is. Uh, Telemachus calls him out for this behavior, but it makes no difference. And Odysseus uses his words, so that it will be an even bigger surprise to the suitors when he uses his fists. Or, you know, weapons. Uh, it's bow and arrow. We'll, we'll get to that part in another book. Um, <laughs> they argue for a while before Antinous goes far enough that the suitors are shocked by his words. And one of them tells him to stop. Which, I mean, if, which tells you how far Antinous goes. That one of the other suitors actually says, whoa, step too far, dude. Meanwhile, up in her room, Penelope grumbles and grits her teeth and wishes that Apollo would just strike Antinous down. And Eurynome, the housekeeper, asks, why just Antinous? What about the rest of these suitors? And the two women agree that the best thing would be for all of them to die, foreshadowing much. Eurynome tells her about this beggar and describes the scene below, the whole throwing of the stool and everything. And Penelope tells Eurynome to fetch Eumaeus so that he can give her any news he might have of Odysseus. 
They speak briefly, but Eumaeus has little to tell her that she hasn't been told before. Um, and again, we have an orality issue here where we've read a lot of what he has to say. Um, he goes back to his dinner um, and he finishes finishes meal and then he heads home, leaving the suitors. The suitors are still singing and dancing. They're, they're enjoying their revelries. And that is the end of book 17. All right. I actually have a couple of super literary type things to discuss today, neither of which will be apparent from the summary that I just gave. Um, So first, a little thing, but still something I have a line note of um, in my text. Um, When we first see Penelope in this book, she is compared to both Artemis and Aphrodite in a single line. Now, there is no reason that she can't be as beautiful as both of these goddesses, but they are very different goddesses. Uh, We have the goddess of love and sexuality on one hand, and the goddess of virginity and the hunt on the other. Um, So which one is it? How is she both of these things at once? Um, And here's the other super literary thing. Uh, Throughout book 17, the poet addresses Eumaeus um, directly. Like when he speaks, it's prefaced by things like, and then you, oh, my swineherd said. And this happens consistently and repeatedly throughout the book. Other characters don't get this treatment. There's something special about Eumaeus. So so what is it? Is it is it simply the poetry of the sounds? Um, the way, you know, that you and swineherd might work in the ancient Greek? Um is it, so is it something with the meter or the rhythm? Or is there some other reason? Why, why is Eumaeus singled out for, oh, oh, my wonderful swineherd. Oh, my swineherd. Oh, Eumaeus. Oh, you. Oh, you. Oh, you. Um, the other characters don't get that treatment. It's not, I mean, there's one part where he's talking to, when he's talking to Penelope, right, at the end, that's like, oh, you, my swineherd said this, and Penelope said that. But it's not prefaced with, oh, you, my wise Penelope said that. It's just, oh, yeah, just Penelope talked. But, oh, you, my swineherd. And there is sometimes, like, the epithets that we sometimes see are really um, due to the meter um, of the poetry in the in the original language. Um, so it seems weird to us, but the way it flows and bounces and that, that rhythm is why it's there. Um, for an interesting discussion of that... Um, I recommend the preface to Lattimore's Iliad. He talks a lot about the meter and word selection in his preface um, or author's notes or whatever. It's a length, it's a lengthy section. He goes into a lot of detail, but um, anyway. So what do you think of the Odyssey so far? How are you feeling about our heroes? Um, why does Penelope hold her tongue when her son is so incredibly rude to her? Come over to the blog and share your thoughts. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. On Friday, we'll have a short episode on the Homeric Hymn to Poseidon. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio.
And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.